Uh, we haven't had the chance to meet yet. My name is Adam Young, one of the pastors here, and want to welcome you to Valley Life this morning. Uh, we are continuing our study uh, in our series in the letters of John. And so if you want to follow along with us this morning, you can use your Bible or you can follow along with us uh, in the Bible app this morning. Uh, you know, one of the most effective ways of teaching, uh, communicating new concepts, uh, is through using compar- comparisons and contrasts. Should I switch? <laughs> like a mic that works and one that doesn't work. We'll see. Contrast. Exactly. Am I good? Okay. Um, for example, like if we talk about being tall, it's, that's kind of relative. And if I were going to communicate tall to you, I could just give you a measurement. Like I could say six foot three inches. And maybe that communicates effectively to you. If you're close to that height or you know someone at that height, even, even when I say a height, you're going you're to create a comparison in your mind. What would be much more effective is if I put someone who is 6'3", next to someone who was 5'10", next to someone who was 4'11". That would be a great way to communicate what uh, the concept of being tall. There's a lot of ways and things we could do. Uh, Talk about being fast. Like you might think of your self as fast or your like 17-year-old self as fast. Maybe you used to be fast. Um, And maybe you were like the fastest person on your middle school track team or you could outrun all of your friends or your football teammates or whatever it may be. Uh, Or maybe not even running. Maybe you're pretty quick downhill on skis or a snowboard. You think of yourself as pretty quick, pretty fast. But if we compare you in your prime to Usain Bolt or uh, compare you on the slopes with Lindsey Vaughn, that that brings out a whole new perspective. And so we can do that with a lot of things, big and small, tall and short, fast, slow, hot, cold. By comparing and contrasting, we can kind of get a better picture of what we're talking about. And so not only do we do this, but John does this in his writings. Let me review a couple of comparisons and contrasts that John has already made in his letter that we've seen thus far. Uh, In chapter one, we talked about walking in the darkness versus walking in the light. Uh, We also, in chapter one of 1 John, talked about those who say they have no sin and those who confess their sin. In chapter 2, we talked about those who love the world in comparison to those who love the Father. In chapter 2, we talked about the Antichrist versus the true Christ. We also talked about those who deny Christ and those who confess Christ. And then in chapter 3, just even last week, we talked about those who John would say are children of the devil and those who are children of God. That comparison comes from verse 10 of chapter 3. Let's look at that for just a second. This uh, is the last verse that Dustin covered last week. It says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So these comparing comparisons and, and contrasts that John is making just help us to create a, a mental picture of what he's talking about. 
He's going to do it again this week as we move into our next set of uh, verses and our next passage, starting in verse 11. So if you're there, you can read along with me. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So John is going to create this contrast between love and hate. And what he's going to do is he's going to give us an example and an examination of hate by referring to a story from the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel, where Cain murdered his brother Abel. Now, John does not give us a lot of details about this story, but honestly, neither does the original story in Genesis chapter 4. There's not a ton of details. As a matter of fact, I'll read part of it for you. Genesis 4, verses 3 through 5. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Now, there is a little bit more in that story. God and uh, Cain will have a discussion, and God will warn him about what he is feeling inside and what Cain is about to do. There's one other place uh, in the New Testament that refers to this story, and it's just as brief. And we're not given a lot of details. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, at least at the beginning of verse 4, it just says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. So there's a lot of questions and not a ton of answers. Now, Dan taught on this passage this summer, um, but there's just not a lot of details about what was it that made uh, Abel's offering more acceptable than Cain's. And while we don't have a lot of those answers, there are some insights as we just look at the text and we think about it for a minute. If Cain's initial response to his offering not being as acceptable as his brother's. If, if his first thought and his first action was to murder his brother, that probably gives you some insight into where his heart was before he even gave the offering. Uh, you probably don't go from a heart of love and gratitude and generosity to one of murder in a single moment or a single day. Am I right? Please say I'm right. Otherwise, I don't want to be your friend. <laughs> so we don't, there's a lot of things we don't know, but we can read between the lines. But here's what we do see in 1 John, is that what, regardless of what Cain's heart looked like before the offering, while giving the offering, after the offering, here's what John does tell us that he, he does. He compares himself to his brother's righteousness. And the old adage is true. Comparison is the thief of joy. Cain compared his 
gift and himself to his brother. Cain's response to someone else's righteousness was anger and envy and jealousy. That's an important point to note because we will come back to that. So let's continue and let's look at verse 13. Verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. So if comparing one's own righteousness with that of someone else's can foster or produce evil and hate-filled responses, if that was true at the very beginning, then it's still true of the human condition today. So if that's what happened then, when one would compare themselves and their righteousness to someone else's, why would we be surprised if when someone compares themselves to someone's righteousness today, that they respond with hatred? Is sort of John's point here. Let's keep reading. Verses 14 and 15. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death, and everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So I'm going to be honest. I think every time that I have read this passage in my life, up until this week as I started pressing in deeper and preparing for today, I think I read the point John was trying to make wrong. Now, fortunately, my wrong assumptions about the point he was trying to make are still at least biblically true. So it wasn't heresy. But, and I'll prove it to you. Here's how I read John in this section. Don't be surprised that the world hates you. But you should respond to the world in love. That's what I thought his first message was. Now, that's totally biblical, right? Jesus taught that uh, in multiple places. In Matthew chapter 7, in a pretty basic sense, the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So it doesn't matter if they treat you with hatred. You should not treat them with hatred back. You should treat them the way you would like for them to treat you. He went into far greater detail in Matthew chapter 5. He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that's still a biblical message. That even though others may hate us, our response should be in love. We know that God loves the world. We're called to mirror his character. But as I started reading more this week in this passage, started pressing in, I think John's actually making a different point, at least as his primary point. Because when he, ta- he talks about the hatred of the world, but when he talks about love, he talks about it in a particular direction, at least in this passage. He starts by talking about how we should love one another. And despite the fact that the world hates you, we're called 
to love the brothers. And then he draws a contrast to those who would hate his brother or the brothers. Now, based on John's usage in his letter, when he uses that term, he's talking about the fellow body of believers. When he says brothers, he's not just talking about physical, biological, or even adopted brothers. He does use Cain as an example. But when John talks about this, he's talking about those that we do life with within the Christian community. Those who are a part of the family of God. Fellow believers, fellow Christ followers, fellow Christians, whatever term you like to use. Which is also consistent with what the Bible teaches. Jesus said this in John 13.35, just after washing the disciples' feet and preparing them uh, for what was to come. This was on the last night before he was executed on the cross. He tells them, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Look at what Paul says in Galatians 6.10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. That would include the world. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, why? Because I had always read this passage of the world hates you, you respond to the world in love. Which again, biblical message. That's just not what John is pressing in here. So why? Why is John trying to press in that we should love our brothers and sisters in Christ? That we should be marked by love for one another? Well, what was the point of using Cain as an example? What did John say Cain did? He compared himself with someone else's righteousness. And I think what John is getting at here and is pressing into for his readers, what he's trying to prevent is not our anger returned back to the world. We shouldn't even be surprised that the world may be angry at us. What he's really trying to prevent here is anger and hatred welling up towards our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Because when we start comparing ourselves to someone else, when we start comparing our status to someone else's perceived righteousness, when we start comparing our offerings with someone else's offerings, often the result is anger and jealousy and envy and maybe even at times hatred. And so, yes, we're called to love the world. You can't get out of that. The scripture's very clear. But sometimes the people who are easiest to hate are the ones that are closest to us. You experience that in life? Sometimes the hardest people to be nice to are your own family members. We've been there. Sometimes we turn our anger or our jealousy, our envy, not at people out in the world who hate us, but at people we sit next to 
because we compare ourselves to them. We compare who we are, how far we've come in our spiritual journeys. We compare the offerings that we make to them. And it wells up inside of us as anger or envy or jealousy. Let's keep reading. Next couple of verses in 1 John. He's going to say this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed or truth. So, John first gave us an example and an examination of hatred. But in this teaching technique of comparing and contrasting that he's going to use, he's now going to give us an example and examination of love. Jesus loved, and he laid down his life. Sacrifice, according to John, is the sign of love. Love is at the heart of the gospel. And love is at the heart of those who have been transformed by it. Now you may have noticed a cool connection or relationship between John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16. John 3.16 teaches us that God loved the world. It's a demonstration of love. And 1 John 3.16 is an explanation of it. Whereas God's own Son laid down His life for us in John 3.16, in 1 John 3.16, we are called to lay down our life for others. The Bible says that if you want to see love, then you look at the cross. If you want to show love, then you look at the cross. If you want to know love, you look at the cross. And if you want to live love, then you look at the cross. I heard an old quote by a guy named Warren Wearsby that said, self-preservation is the first law of physical life, but self-sacrifice is the first law of spiritual life. But it's one thing to say it, and it's another thing to do it. Verse 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? We love to talk about the love of God. We love to sing about it. We literally just sang a song that restated these words. We sang, from the heights of heaven, you step down to earth. That Jesus came to lay down his life for us. From the heights of heaven, you came down to earth. And then we made this bold declaration, for we have been changed by the power of the cross. 
how great, how great, how great is your love. We love to sing about love. We love to sing about God's love, rightly so. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. As John's going to illustrate, self-sacrifice can be more than just giving up your physical life. As John illustrates here, our hands in many ways are a mirror of our hearts. A closed hand reveals a closed heart that has never truly been awoken by and blossomed with the love of God. This time last year, we were teaching through the book of James. Some of you were with us then and were a part of that study. James, the half-brother of Jesus, in different words, teaches the same thing. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. I didn't look up the calendar, but we were teaching on this passage almost the exact same time last year. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Dead faith, dead love, neither one does any good for others. Living out the gospel means having open ears and open eyes and open hands for those who are hurting. It means loving others as we have been loved by Jesus. The late John Stott said this about this passage that I think summarizes it well. Hatred characterizes the world whose prototype is Cain. It originates in the devil, issues in murder, and is evidence of spiritual death. Love characterizes the church, whose prototype is Christ. It originates in God, issues in self-sacrifice, and is evidence of eternal life. So let's not just talk about love. Let's demonstrate it. Because it's how, it's how the world is going to know that we're his disciples. Because it's our response to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, not comparison. Not comparing ourself to the person that's sitting in front of you or behind you or next to you about how you think your perceived righteousness stacks up with their perceived righteousness. Not how your gifts and offerings to God compare to others' gifts and offerings to God. But our response is not comparison. Our response is self-sacrificing love. The greatest demonstration, Jesus, who gave everything, who gave his life. He said in John 13, 35, greater love has no one than this, than he lays down his life for his friend. But God may not call you to lay down your physical life. But he does call us all to self-sacrifice for the betterment of others. 
as a way to demonstrate and proclaim God's great love for us. Jesus didn't just say something, he did something. And that's what we're called to do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we have this moment to come before you to sing about your great love. To sing about the sacrifice that you made for us. To take communion to remember and commemorate and proclaim your great love that was demonstrated in your death and resurrection. Lord, we thank you that we have this moment to come and to think about your love, to pray about your love, to talk about your love. Lord, as you teach us, those who have been truly transformed by your love, demonstrate that in love for others. So would you help us? Would you funnel your love through us to those around us? I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed for a moment. Because we are going to have an opportunity to respond to his great love. Once again, we're going to stand and sing to celebrate who he is and what he has done. We're going to proclaim how deep the Father's love for us truly is. Then we're going to demonstrate it. We invite you to the table in the back with the bread and the cup. The broken bread that represents his broken body for you. The cup that represents his spilled blood for you. And the new covenant, the new relationship we have because of his blood. And so we're going to demonstrate his great love together as we take the bread and the cup. And for those of you, those of you who have been saved by his death and his resurrection, who've experienced his great love and embraced it, we invite you to the table. And if you haven't, this is the moment to embrace his love for you. This is the moment to accept his great demonstration of love for you. By believing in his name, confessing him as Lord. And so together we're going to respond to his great love. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your love. Would you help us to honor you by the way we respond to it this morning?